0: Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for March 30th, 2022 Your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you from Austin, Texas. We have a show that will, will bounce between D.C. and the actual races that are happening in our country right now. Joe Biden has released a new budget and what a difference a year makes. (laughs) We go from him proposing the most staggering social safety net increase in American history, at least by the numbers, to let's reduce the deficit and let's fund the police. (laughs) Sometimes political gravity is very, very, very fun to see in play. And this is certainly one of them. We take a look at what he's doing, how he's looking to finance it, and whether or not he is going to be able to square the Joe Manchin circle. We're also going to look back at Eric Greitens. I I don't know, man. I sometimes I fixate on these candidates, and and I I just have a thing. I can't look away. Eric Greitens, former governor of Missouri, run out of that office. He, uh, uh, in part, by current senator Josh Howley, Now Eric Greitens rehabilitated. After that uh, uh, debacle, wherein he was accused of taking non-consensual naked pictures with a hairdresser he was having an adulterous affair with, as well as some campaign finance stuff, so he he leaves, rehabilitates himself, runs for senate. Nobody in the Republican Party, you know, wants him to run for senate because remember, Josh Howley hates him. <laughs> and he's like, you know, a, a fairly in the Senate, a, a, a strong MAGA conservative. But he runs anyway. Then, as we covered last week, new allegations, this time from his ex wife, who suffered through that whole process, the adulterous affair, who, in an affidavit in an ongoing custody dispute, says that Greitens was physically violent to both her and one of their children. It's also allegations and speculation that he might have been, might have attacked more than one of the children. Anyway, Greitens is not dropping out. He's got a pivot, and I'm fascinated by this pivot. We're going to talk about it. Spoilers, it involves Karl Rove. All that. And our money man, Dave Leventhal, is back. But we're not talking about money, money. We are talking about something that might be worth even more in D.C. Influence. The Clarence and Ginny Thomas story has only grown over the last week. For those out of the loop, Clarence Thomas is the most conservative justice on the Supreme Court. Ginny Thomas is a Republican activist. Ginny Thomas was, uh, according to various emails that have surfaced from the January 6th investigation, very, very, very insistent that politicians and organizations in the Republican sphere stand up with Donald Trump to stop the steal. What does that mean for Clarence Thomas? And furthermore, let's take a larger look at the ecosystem of influence between married couples in D.C. It's a small town. And if all power is future power, then the people we are about to talk about have power until the day that they die. All that, but first, I'm going to start this segment with some polling that came out because I need you to understand the context for which Biden's budget comes out in. This is from Blueprint Polling. In Nevada. Now remember, Nevada was one of the key states that got Joe Biden elected. It was very close, but he wins. Nevada is part of the blue wall that Obama very desperately wanted to build. Nevada, because of its uh, rising Hispanic population, not too long ago was looked at as a state that could be reliably blue. So here's the polling. Sitting Governor, Sisolak, down three to his Republican challenger, Lombardo. In the Senate, Catherine Cortez Masto, down seven to her Republican challenger, Laxalt. And here's the one that stings. Joe Biden, in a hypothetical 2024 matchup against Donald Trump, is currently down double digits. I saw a very funny tweet right before I started recording. Headline, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, we're in trouble. Right next to it is the I think you should leave guy in a hot dog suit who after a wienermobile is crashed into a clothing store is shouting animatedly we're all looking for the guy who did this <laughs> things are not looking good and so with the white house When you have the bully pulpit, when you have control of your party, you've got to use it. And so, Joe Biden, with the midterms coming up, only has a few tools at his disposal. He can executive order. He can try to figure out something piecemeal in the Senate. But one of the biggest is his budget. That sets the agenda for what is going to get done from now until November. And this week, Biden unveiled it. A $5.8 trillion budget for the fiscal year 2023. And while that sounds like a lot, although does it sound like a lot when uh, that was like the, the negotiated down number of what Bernie Sanders wanted for the Build Back Better? But still... The budget this year is $200 billion less than what Biden proposed last year. But what's more is what's in it. The plan calls for $30 billion to fight crime and claims that it will reduce the deficit by $1 trillion over a decade. From the Washington Post, President Biden's released budget proposal Monday uh, doubles as a midterm blueprint for deflecting Republican attacks that portray Democrats as soft on crime and a free spending party, quote, former Congressman Steve Israel of New York. It's not just about the votes. It's about the 30-second ads that are generated from those votes in September and October. Republicans voted against tax cuts for the middle class so they could keep tax cuts for the rich, and Republicans voted against funding the police. That first line is from how Biden says he will pay for this. And that is with a billionaire's tax, a minimum tax for people who make over a certain amount, or rather are worth over a certain amount, which gets us to the larger problem. And in fact, the problem that has bedeviled the Biden administration from the very beginning. How are they going to pass this? You know, Build Back Better was something that was heralded by so many, and yet... It went nowhere. Why? Because it never had the votes it needed to have. It was relying on a few stragglers to come along, and they never felt particularly animated to do so. And by the way, I don't think that they have much regret sitting on this side of the timeline either. Joe Manchin's big issue was that he didn't want to spend a lot of money while inflation was on the rise. The response to that from the Biden administration and those that were begging him to get on board was that inflation was transitory. Well, it seems like it's making itself quite a bit of a home right now. So I don't think that Joe Manchin is particularly upset he didn't acquiesce. And... That's not all that's in the budget, including some things that Manchin will probably balk at. There is another uphill fight, according to Politico, for spending in child care as well as pre-kindergarten. In a letter being circulated by Representative Catherine Clark of Massachusetts, Senators Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts and Tina Smith of Minnesota... They are calling on Joe Biden to push a reconciliation bill that lowers the cost of child care for families, expands access to pre-K and invests in the early childhood workforce and infrastructure. More than two dozen senators and 70 plus House members signed on to the missive, at least as of the publishing Monday night, a few days before it's scheduled to be sent to the White House. It contains no criticism of the administration, but it's clear that the left is worried that a Manchin-guided axe is headed for much of the president's social spending plan, and they want Biden to do something about it. Manchin, after embracing a reconciliation package last year that did include funding for universal pre-K for a decade... The West Virginia Democrat is now zeroing in on a plan that includes tax rate hikes on corporations, climate change provisions and lowering prescription uh, drug costs while paying down the deficit. So. While the budget seems like it's something that might have a bit of a fight, it will likely mostly face criticism from progressives. Although, getting Manchin fully on board is going to be something a little bit trickier than it might otherwise be. Here's my thing about looking at it as a midterm blueprint, however. Soft on crime was a year ago. Wild spending is only unpopular when you're not doing something with that money that your voters find popular. If you are fighting on that turf, you are doing so where the Republicans are happy to fight you. And more specifically, you are leaving unguarded what I think will be the animating issues of this cycle. And that's education. I mean, more specifically, education is the tip of the spear, which is the larger issue. Recovery from COVID. Everything. That the Democrats do from now until the midterms should be focused on how do we get back to where we were. Explaining the, the, the issues that are happening along the, the the way, picking out the pebbles from our shoes so everybody can continue to walk forward. If you are dealing with the issues of the past then you are not looking forward. And more specifically, you are not fulfilling part of the issue that got Joe Biden elected in the first place, which is a return to normalcy. A president that didn't misspeak and piss off the entire world. Okay, wrong week for that. A president that has experience. A president that isn't going to embarrass you. Okay. Anyway, moving on. The issue is normalcy. In all seriousness, how do we get back to there? How do the kids get back in school? How do we recover from what we lost, from small businesses to cities that have a, 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 you know, less tax revenue? We are a different country now. How do we regain what we lost while learning the lesson from our time? Now, mind you, through all of that, I didn't mention and also still be scared, scared about COVID. Because they definitely got to turn the page on that. I don't care. BA 2, BA 4, BA 4000, BA Baracus. I don't care. <laughs> there, is, uh, there is nothing that they can do on that. That ship that, that has sailed. Politics. I got two polls for you. Trafalgar Group poll of Missouri from February 22nd to February 24th, 1,026 likely voters. The leading candidate in the Republican primary for Missouri Senate is Eric Greitens by eight points over Schmidt and Hartzler. But a month later, Missouri scout does a similar poll taken from March 22nd to March 23rd. 941 respondents. A key part of this is that right before this poll was taken, Eric Greitens' ex-wife accused him in an affidavit of abuse to not only her but one of their children. In this poll, it is Schmidt that's up 24, Over Greitens at 21, Hartzler within the margin of error at 19. Effectively, a three-way tie with Schmidt on top. That is the first polling indication that indeed these allegations have hurt the insurgency candidacy of Eric Greitens. I wondered aloud on this very podcast whether or not that was curtain for, cur- curtains for Grightons. Because, I mean, geez, come on. Another one? This one, it's your ex-wife, the one who stood by you through the first thing? Now she's got some bad things to say about you? That's not so good, Eric. But for those wondering if and how Grightons would fight back against the accusations, well, we have an answer.
1: Carl Rove. Number one, all of these accusations were written, notarized, and distributed to the press in Washington, D.C., while I was with my boys. Number two, we now know that Carl Rove was directly involved with this. Carl Rove, the mastermind of Rhino Dirty Tricks. And number three, we now know that they took all of these accusations and they handed them directly to people who work for Mitch McConnell's Senate Leadership Fund.
0: Wait, what? That's from a video that Greitens put out on Twitter this weekend, responding for the first time to the news that his ex-wife filed the affidavit in an ongoing custody dispute alleging violence and unstable behavior from her ex-husband. Here is Greitens' case. This is all a setup. He believes that just as people who pursued his case that chased him out of his role as governor. So, again, this is the thing four years ago. Some of those people were about to face legal consequences and therefore give him a, quote, unquote, total exoneration. New allegations began. Hmm. Suspicious timing, says Greitens. A few things that I think are worth pointing out here. There were two things that Greitens was accused of when he left his governorship there was the salacious, the adulterous sex with a hairdresser that, depending on who you asked, was either kinky or abusive. Simultaneous with that, there was another campaign finance issue involving the use of a charity email list for political purposes. While Greitens was let off the hook for the latter, the more salacious and I think well-known charge has been mostly agreed to. Even Gritens admitted that he had sex with the woman, although he denies taking a naked picture of her for blackmail. As for the new
1: charges, well, Grayton says they ain't true. And I'll ask you, just, it, it's so clear how obviously false these are. They're claiming that these terrible things happened four years ago. Well, just two years ago, we set up our joint parenting plan. And here's what's in the parenting plan. This is the parenting plan that my ex-wife, the mediator, and the court all agreed was in the best interest of the boys. And that is that the boys spend the majority of their free time with me. They spend it with me, their dad. They're with me all summer long. They're with me all Thanksgiving break, all spring break, winter break. They're with me every holiday weekend on Memorial Day, on Labor Day, on President's Day, on Columbus Day. They're with me every holiday weekend. And that's in addition to time that I spend with them on school days and weekends down in Texas. Now, I ask you, does that make sense to you? That my ex-wife, the mediator, and the court, who they're claiming now all of these horrible things happen that, that... They would have said, actually, what's best for the boys is that they spend the majority of their free time with their dad. It's obvious nonsense, but this is what they do.
0: Now, obviously, a joint agreement for custody that his ex-wife is currently fighting isn't proof of much. But I want you to pay attention to the pivot here because it's obvious. What I said last week was this is a hard allegation to deal with even if you're just going to tweet through it because you can't smear your ex-wife who stood with you and you certainly cannot attack your own children for saying something that isn't true so he turns to reliable targets on the MAGA right Carl Rove and Mitch McConnell they amplified these this is a setup And he says it in a way that insinuates his ex-wife is involved in it, but does not out and out call her complicit. Breitbart ran a story that Greitens amplified, citing a donor source in the conservative spheres saying that Karl Rove was aware of the allegations before they dropped a shocking charge that Karl Rove who led George W. Bush to the White House, vis-a-vis the governorship of Texas, which is based in Austin, with all those Lone Star State connections, would have knowledge of a Republican scandal emerging from a professor, which is what Sheena Greitens is, at the University of Texas at Austin? Well, that, my friends, is shocking. Well, I mean, I guess, less shocking when you kind of spell it out like that.
1: And I want to tell you directly, Carl Rove and Mitch McConnell, hear me now. You are disgusting cowards and we are coming for you. This is, we are no longer going to allow you not just to attack me and to attack my kids, but to destroy this country. And that's what you're doing. You're making life hard for millions of families around this country by cooperating with the left, by stabbing President Trump in the back, by stabbing the people of America in the back. And we're not gonna stand for it anymore. Know this, the freedom wing of the Republican Party, true patriots, true conservatives, we are coming for you. And we're not just taking back our party, we're taking back our country.
0: Like I said last week, the problem for Greitens with these allegations is that they read very much like the same guy that the hairdresser was describing. He's insecure, quick to anger, manipulative. Now, obviously, there were enough voters in the Republican Party that were willing to give him another look after the first scandal. You know, he didn't ask for permission when he ran for governor. He wasn't exactly popular in the Republican Party then, but the people liked him. And it's easy to see. I mean, he's an ex-Navy SEAL. He has a lot of fire in his eyes. And now he's aligned himself with the MAGA right, which obviously is all about those issues. But even if you believe That there are questions with these new allegations. When you have two things that sound similar, even your most staunch defenders have to wonder, is there another one? Are we going to get way down the road with this guy and then at the 11th hour, another shoe is going to drop? Now, obviously, that's not insurmountable. See Trump, comma, Donald Sr. But it does factor into, I think, the calculus when you look at some of this other polling. These are Trafalgar Group polls uh, sizing up possible matchups for that open Missouri Senate seat. In it, both Hartzler and Schmidt match up against. Uh, the two most likely Democrats that would run against them. And both of them are up by double digits, like anywhere between the 14 to 20 range in the various different combinations, blowouts. Meanwhile, in the two polls with Greitens, and by the way, these were before the allegations. Greitens is either up, Plus one or tied. So while Greitens is somebody that is popular on the right, if he loses his traction there, then you're going to start to have a lot of second thoughts on, do we want to gamble the Senate on this guy? And, you know, If you are a Missouri voter on the Republican side, I think, you know, you might not want to. (laughs) You, You just might not want to take the risk. This is kind of the same thing with Purdue. When the rubber meets the road, is this going to get you closer to winning in November? And we're seeing that some of the more problematic candidates are actually facing headwind on this issue. Ladies and gentlemen, I've made my decision. I'm heading out to Ohio in April. Uh, We will go out to Pennsylvania a little bit closer to the actual primary date. Uh, But I'm going to go out to Ohio mostly because it's it's more easily drivable. And (laughs) I don't know where I'm going. Right. You know, there's there's a bunch of different candidates that are that are running around all sorts of different places. And so if I'm mostly driving, I don't want to find myself in Philadelphia. And then I need to be in Scranton and then I need to be back in Philly. And then I need to be in Pittsburgh because those are longer drives than if I'm in Columbus and I have to be in Cleveland or I have to be in Dayton or I have to be in Cincinnati. So with all that being said, I'm heading out to Ohio next month. We're covering the Republican primary there. Also, we're going to see if Gibbons and Mandel, uh, uh, get into a tickle fight. If JD Vance can find a constituency beyond Twitter, uh, and and Peter Thiel dinner parties. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And it will only happen because of you. Yeah, you, you listening. Because whether or not you are somebody that just enjoys the podcast for free. And maybe you've left a review on the podcast platform of your choice. Maybe you've shared it on social media. You've told your friends and family. Hey, by the way, I listen to this political podcast and not only is it good when it breaks down actual races, but he actually goes and covers things. A lot of podcasts just sit around in their house and talk about things. Not a lot of them go out and actually sniff test these candidates themselves. This one does. So if you do that for free, thank you. And also, the people that I really want to thank are the folks who head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com and sign up for our premium service. Oh, yeah. The $3 level, you get two bonus podcasts each and every week. One on Sunday, one on Thursday. And those never change, even when I'm on the road. I'm still delivering bonus content for you guys. In fact, it's better bonus content cuz it's usually content from the road. Head on over there right now. Takepoliticsseriously.com. Uh this is when this is when it matters. This is when it matters, when I need to be out there, when I need to be getting hotel rooms and rental cars and and eating unhealthy on the road. Yeah, baby, I can't wait to get back up. God, I miss it already. TakePoliticsSeriously.com Our guest today is no stranger to the program he is the Deputy Washington Bureau Chief for Insider. He's our money man. He normally tracks all the all the cash. he, he had to get you know he, he got an apology out of uh, or, or no he got he got Nancy Pelosi to back down after his coverage of uh, uh, how Congress folk were flouting the rules and regulations on stock trading. He's the one, the only Dave Leventhal. Welcome back to the show, Dave. It is a pleasure and an honor, Justin, to be back. Clarence Thomas, somebody that has been controversial in D.C. really since the moment that he came to the Supreme Court uh, uh, by way of a I mean, well, here, let's actually take a step back. Was he the template of of the modern Supreme court circus that we've kind of seen now uh, be, become the norm. What was that? Was that the beginning of it in our modern era and our television era? I mean, look anytime any time you uh, kick off a Supreme court
2: hearing with, um, with Coca-Cola and pubic hair, you, yep. you have a, you you know that it's going to be a wild ride going forward, particularly if the, if the man in the hot seat, is going to spend the next 30 some odd years uh, on the bench on the high court. So yeah, Clarence Thomas has been a controversial figure for, for you know, effectively many of our entire lives. Uh, those yep. of us of a, a certain age. Um, of a certain you know, age. Elder, elder like, millennials,
0: young Gen yeah, yeah, Xers by, and beyond, for sure. By, by the way, I know I know we have a few younger listeners to this show, so... If you are one of those younger listeners and you just in the intervening time that Dave said these this phrase, you went and Googled pubic hair coat can, please hit me up on Twitter at Justin R. Young. I just want to know how many of you are out there that have no idea the the parameters of that scandal.
2: And uh, haven't done it myself, but 99% guaranteed that uh, you will get a picture of Clarence Thomas showing up when you do so. But yeah, yeah I mean, it, it was it was really you have to go back maybe a, a couple of years before that uh, to Judge Robert Bork getting uh, getting put up getting borked and, and getting getting bored, which gave rise to the term. Uh, Google that as well. But yeah, you know, the <laughs> late eighties, the early nineties were were some pretty turbulent times for uh, for Supreme Court nominees uh, in a way that that we didn't quite see before that, and, and definitely. Foreshadowed what would be the fights that we we now in modern times have become accustomed to with uh, Amy Coney Barrett and, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously Brett Kavanaugh, which I, I think we can all say in fairness and objectivity that that, that was uh, probably the the nastiest that that we've had in modern history. So in a way, that's just kind of become standard practice. If if anyone thought that the Katanji Brown Jackson hearings were Oh. Really crazy and really awful and really bad. Well, in a vacuum, sure, one can make that case. But relative to some others that have happened, well, maybe not so much. I mean, it. So, so that's really the the level of animosity that that yeah. will exist. And also, too, it it really just kind of underscores the foundational stakes at play here. And that instead of this being about qualifications, instead of this being about Somebody's record instead of this being about will this person actually do a good job when they mm. enter the Supreme Court to a lifetime appointment? you know, it so often is about people posturing for their next presidential run or trying to score points that can be turned into yes. a positive or negative ad. So I mean, on one end of the spectrum, you have like Ted Cruz. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have Cory Booker if if they're two, Times in the spotlight when they were when they were talking during this hearing aren't everywhere on TV and digital ads during the 2022 midterms or for that matter, the 2024 presidential elections, then, you know, I'm done. I, I, I don't know anything that I'm talking
0: about here. Well, and and it's funny that you say that, because I also think that that's kind of even an outdated model of what you would use those moments for, because I think those those moments now they go by so fast that nobody is going to remember Ted Cruz asking Ketanji Brown Jackson about the racist, the anti-racist baby book when Iowa comes around in a few, you know, uh, you know, a year and change or whatever. But. If he isn't, and as I think he was successfully able to make it onto Fox News with that clip, successfully able to have an email blast with that clip, and successfully able to get social media traction with that clip on his accounts, then two things happen. Number one, he can continue to build the mailing list that is all important in the modern world of fundraising, and he can get some traction on that win red. A uh, uh, page that is the other big thing that happens. Like, like this isn't even just about hey, build up a a a reservoir of good tape in in the way that I think it used to be. There is an immediate like six hours out from him saying it, you're going to see benefit. Twelve hours out, twenty four hours out, kind of kind of kind of benefit to the modern world. Oh, it's both,
2: and and yeah. everything
0: you just described, agree with hundred percent.
2: Yeah, I mean Ted Cruz was literally there scrolling through. His Twitter mentions as this was all going down so oh no it's not even an hour or you know 10 minutes I mean it, it's instantaneous it, so instant yeah the benefit can be reaped in a political context immediately but at the same time too it, it really does help to have that reservoir and, and that's something that you can constantly use I mean Donald Trump does this all the time in his own messaging where I mean he is constantly hearkening back to the past and things that happened yeah. and that sells. That does work for a certain demographic of supporters. We're talking about the right right now, but it also you know, works for the left uh, in, in a very real application. Uh, sentiment and sentimentality and politics can be a powerful tool, especially if you're the one who is, for example, out of power, or you're yes. trying to look back to a time that uh, may be uh, a little more happy, shiny, and positive than the very moment that you're in right now.
0: So let's go back to Clarence Thomas, because while he certainly came in to the court with a lot of Sturm and Drung, he, I think, probably more than anybody else on the bench has... Wanted, as the kids say, all the smoke. Like he is not shy about his personal opinion. He has written fairly pointed books uh, and 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 other literature about his point of view. I would say probably him and Scalia were the two that I think were were the most sort of out there, uh, defining their own personal positions alongside of their judiciary philosophies. And I think that informs where we are going, which is this latest revelation about. His wife, Ginny. So, uh, explain for folks who have not caught up on this situation what we are dealing with.
2: Well, foremost, Clarence Thomas has been one of the most, if not the most, reliable conservative vote on the Supreme yeah. Court during his time there. So that is uh, that is anti-news. That that is you know just a that, no. Igno- that, is, that is
0: judicial like record. That's just what Absolutely. it is.
2: And and he's also to a bit of an enigma when you have other justices, both on the right and the left, who use Supreme Court oral arguments, for example, to get on their soapbox or ask lots of pointed pick questions. Clarence Thomas has made his name and made his mark for his silence, although Mm -hmm. he has telegraphed in other ways his judicial philosophies and, and what he believes in when it comes to actually serving on the court, oftentimes he will just sit there and quite literally never ask a question, never, never speak. I, I've been to Supreme Court oral arguments before, and I've never heard him utter a word. And it's mm-hmm. incredibly rare when he does. So so that's another thing that, that's been going on. Um, so yeah, anyone who would be surprised at Clarence Thomas is conservative. Anyone who is surprised at Clarence Thomas would espouse a set of very right-leaning beliefs, um, you know, just kind of hasn't been paying attention to Clarence Thomas for the better part of the past three decades. Now that all said, somebody who's flown much lower um, below the radar, at least in mainstream American politics, uh, for you know anyone, if you ask hundred people, hey, who's who's Ginny Thomas? Mm-hmm. Probably two, three might might know what you're talking about. They certainly wouldn't. Most people identify her as. Clarence Thomas's wife, and they wouldn't identify her as somebody who, in her own right, has become a a stronger and and more uh, vocal voice for conservative politics that, in some people's opinions, actually outstrip Clarence Thomas's philosophical leanings when it it comes to politics. Uh, She's an author. She's an advocate. She has not been shy as of late about her feelings on all sorts of different political topics which has made some people a little uncomfortable uh, even on the right about uh, the role that she's playing and whether that represents any sort of conflict of interest but you know to be fair they're they're a married couple they they believe in the same yeah. things that is not uncommon what's a little uncommon is that uh, she is by far the most vocal spouse of any member of the Supreme Court and uh, you know it, you, you oftentimes will have Spouses who will vary purposely if they are married to a Supreme Court justice uh, just does just not play a public role in, in anything that could be construed in any form or fashion as conflicting with the decisions that their spouse will make. So uh, that, that brings us up to the issue of the moment, which are the text messages that have uh, now been handed over to the January 6th uh, Investigations Committee uh, in the U.S. House that is uh, probing all manners of things January 6th, but now has these 29 text messages from Ginny Thomas to uh, to Mark Meadows in the White House and others that uh, indicate uh, really the depth of her feelings and sentiments about the 2020 election. And if you take it at face value from these text messages, her belief that the election was stolen from Donald Trump, that, that this yeah. was something that, you know, in essence was, a miscarriage of justice and comes at a time when the Supreme Court is in uh, in, in not unimportant ways directly involved in questions uh, surrounding January 6th. So it's a it's a
0: very powerful situation in that regard. Now, part of this is news in that we now have evidence of it, but it was not a, a hidden fact that she was at the stop the steal rally. That uh, uh, then directly led to the storming of the Capitol, right?
2: Right. But what is new is the notion that the wife of the Supreme Court justice had a direct pipeline to key figures uh, in, yeah. uh, in the entire situation, and that there was actually active debate happening in the heat of the moment or or around thereabout, uh, which was absolutely news uh, when when it came out just a few short days ago. So, uh,
0: you know, I want to put a pin in that because I think that that, that gets to the second place that I want to go. But let, let's stay on Clarence Thomas and close this book before we go there. What are the possible outcomes that could lead from this news? Sure. So
2: a couple things. Number one, uh, there now is a question as to whether Clarence Thomas, uh, if faced with having to Uh, consider and rule upon anything that would be within the broad realm of January 6th or Donald Trump, whether he should have to recuse himself, whether he would have a ethical responsibility to step away from any case like that. So open question at this point, unclear as to how that's going to go down. There now is a question too, as to whether Clarence Thomas himself will become involved and swept into this broad inquiry from House Select Committee that's investigating January 6th, which would be a pretty unprecedented uh, type of event if ultimately that was that would be that would that, that I mean, be a Rubicon to cross for sure. That would, that, that would unquestionably be a Rubicon. And, and then the third element, which is uh, which is really coming sort of to, uh, to to the the fire of debate of uh, of Capitol Hill and, and Washington, D.C., is the question of whether there will be any formal impeachment efforts going forward in the US House to impeach a Supreme Court justice. My colleague Ryan Barber had a very very fascinating article about uh not only the uh, the the state of play of something like that, how it would go down and and mm-hmm. the 10 second bottom line on that is yes, you can impeach a Supreme Court justice. It would happen just the way as a president would be impeached. It's a 50% uh, um, yep. simple majority House vote goes to the Senate. You need two thirds there. So, you know, that's one thing. But also, too, you know, beyond that, uh, whether there's going to be, you know, a debate, whether this is going to take up time in Congress. Uh, Ilhan Omar, representative from Minnesota, Democrat, has called for impeachment. AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, has also come out uh, in principle in support of the idea. So you're you're definitely getting rumblings, but also, to there were rumblings around the time that Brett Kavanaugh and his allegations and accusations yeah. of sex scandals and whatnot. I mean, there was talk of that, too. So, you know, the Democrats may just be full of it when it when it comes down to it and that there's no good, not going to be any serious, concerted effort to go forward with this. But it makes for wonderful politics and wonderful posturing in the meantime.
0: Speaking of that social traction and act blue traffic, you know, like these are the things that you can that you can it do. It makes when...
2: money if you want to rile up the base, if you wanna, you know, just keep pressing the button on the cash <laughs> register. I mean, this is the way to do it, at least, you know, for the very moment
0: until something else happens. Right? in our modern, in our modern era. All right, let me go back to that thing that you said, that the news is that she would have a direct pipeline. And uh, uh, I don't want to take away the news value of that story that I think it was NBC led on. But uh, uh, let's let's broaden this out a little bit, because you at Insider did a a little uh, retrospective of the top couples, married couples in D.C., And what you realize very quickly is something that I think a lot of people who live inside D.C. know very well. It's a small town. No one's more than two people away from knowing everybody else in town. The people that work in D.C. are there regardless of whether or not the party is in power. You know, even if you're not in power, you're probably still living there. And then your party comes back to power and you get to be in in, in the bureaucracy and the opposition party gets to just sort of live a, a, a civilian life and be a lobbyist or something like that. So with that context in general. Is it really that shocking that, that she had direct access to these people in a world where everybody knows everyone? And Ginny Thomas has been in DC for, for how many decades?
2: It it really underscores just what a bubble Washington, DC can be. So, yeah, you know, you almost take it for granted if you live here in Washington, DC, or or inside the beltway around the Capitol, uh, that that there are going to be these power couples, that there are going to be Couples that, you know, maybe one person is higher profile and they're out front, but the spouse is actually quite powerful in his or her own right. Uh, so we we looked at 20 of the most powerful power couples to kind of answer the question mm-hmm. of, well, who are they? You know, what, what are the really the power couples that sure are obvious? OK, Barack Obama and Michelle Obama, Bill Clinton yeah. and Hillary Clinton. duh. But there's also, you know, some that are definitely not household names or one of the Spouses uh, of the two is not necessarily a household name, but they wield a lot of power and influence in Washington, or they have great connections in their own right that aren't reliant on their husband and wife. I think, you know, Anthony Blinken and Evan Ryan is a great example of two very high-ranking Biden officials, married couple for a long time, Uh, you know, one is the Secretary of State, but uh, Evan Ryan is, you know, a kind of a high profile Biden administration official serving as a liaison to the uh, to the cabinet secretaries uh, in the White House. So, you know, this is a this is a power couple that really is going to be at the top of any list for us folks here in D.C., but are not really going to be, you know, to the level of the the Obamas, the Clintons, or or now the Thomases.
0: Yeah, so you, I mean, like, like so that that's that's a great one. Blinken and and Ryan now both in ascendancy in in the Biden White House. Uh, a similar ones here that I think listeners to this podcast would know. Mitch McConnell and Elaine Chow, obviously. Uh, 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 not only Elaine Chow huge. In the the uh, 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 off delayed uh, uh, heretofore yet seen uh, infrastructure week from the from the Trump administration. Uh, but then, of course, uh, uh, the the inspiration for Don Blankenship's Cocaine Mitch uh, moniker, which we often use for Mitch McConnell here. Uh, uh, but Ted and Heidi Cruz, the the one that. Uh, uh, well, here, let me let me ask a broader question before we start to talk about some of these uh, other folks. I forget who it was that I saw on Twitter but they were like the the long form article that i think needs to be written in dc is just to talk to people in media lobbying bureaucracy and simply ask what did your parents do <laughs> like with with the with the understanding that it within dc it is kind of at least known that some of these kinds of jobs are just generational that that the you uh, you maybe now the kid is in is is working at at the, the the post or some think tank or something but before they were they, they were a bureaucrat and then the kid of the journalist then becomes uh, uh something in, in in a lobbyist firm or maybe in in politics is is that something that that is real or is that overblown
2: well it's fascinating and and for every i'm a John Edwards style, I'm a son of a mill worker kind of story. Yep. You get a uh, hi, I'm senator so-and-so, son of a senator. And, yeah. and and that's just, you know, kind of the way it operates. And 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 both can be kind of calling cards and selling points in in their own right. If if you're trying to project strength and experience and legacy, which still remains attractive, just ask, you know, Don Jr. and Eric Trump. That can be something that that is really going to attract a certain demographic of supporters. And if you're trying to say, I am totally of the people and I am so not part of the power structure and I am anti Washington and going to Washington to be an agent of change, then that's sort of your your, you know. AOC type of style of of operation. And and there are great examples on on both sides, Republicans and Democrats, of of folks who have done both. Uh, So a lot of it is just knowing your audience, knowing your constituency or your potential constituency when you're running for office and and playing into it. So there's definitely some, you know, performance value to playing up one end of that uh, or another, sometimes a success and sometimes not.
0: So the, the, the there are two couples here that I want to bring up because I do feel they're kind of uh, uh almost like twisted mirror images uh, uh of of each other. Uh, the first is you know what what kind of when I was growing up was was almost like a a heartwarming uh, uh but always very entertaining couple of James Carville and Mary Madeline who worked on opposing campaigns with Clinton and Bush were famous for being like, you know, they were, they were just as willing to go at each other on these pundit panels. And yet it was known that they had a, a happy marriage. And then you have our modern version of it. And and maybe it is nostalgia that gives us the rose colored glasses for, for Carville and Madeline, but you have the Conway's uh, 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 Kellyanne and, and George who not only did it seem like when they became at odds with Kellyanne being a Trump official and George starting the, the Lincoln project, not only was it vociferous and angry, but it also was awkward on a way that, that Carville and Madeline never were.
2: Without question. And, <laughs> you know, Carville and, and Madeline, it, everyone kind of felt like they were in on the joke, and, and, and they were, they were sort of nakedly open about the fact that they hated each other when it came to their political rivalries yeah. that, that they basically just, you know, put it at the doorstep. It was, it was you know, sort of like the uh, the old cartoon where, like the sheepdog and the sheep, they they punch in the card and, you know, then yeah
0: uh, they go chase but, but, each but other. The, around but the, hours less, the lesson was out. that politics is a job and you do the job and then you're done with the job. And then whatever personal conversations you have with your loved ones is is what that is. Which I, I feel like that specific lesson being totally lost to history is maybe the most telling thing that 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 we could say in terms of defining our modern political world, where the and war it never spe- ends. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it just speaks to a bygone era,
2: uh, which you know certainly had its own faults and its own crazy idiosyncrasies. But yeah, that that seemed to be a lot more possible, or at least seemed to be conceivable back then, where. It's kind of difficult to do that when you know the the act involves you tweeting at two in the morning or responding to you know things twenty four hours a day that that are happening in, in politics. I mean, it it, it is a full time job plus the other sixteen hours really. When it comes down to it, to be a political personality and persona in, in Washington D.C., and I, I think the Conways are the best example that that one could offer in that regard of a odd couple. That remained a couple, and from all indications, are still very much a couple and still doing their things when it comes to their 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 political schism, but yet their their marriage. It should be noted too that George Conway, it it wasn't like he was some lifelong Democrat or anything. He he, was a very, you know, Republican conservative for much of his career, and, and really Donald Trump was sort of the the third party in the marital bed, if you will. And and things got weird and they got weird very quickly when he decided to just go off and spout off constantly uh, about the president who his wife oh just so happened to work for and also yeah. be one of the, the biggest spokespeople, most vocal and, and most high profile spokespeople that, that Donald Trump had during his time in the White House.
0: To be fair to the Conways, uh, Carville and Madeline never had to fend off an uh, an, an emancipation push by a TikTok star daughter. So uh, maybe that is something that also that also uh, can rattle the cages a little bit. Uh, A few more of these uh, couples that I want to go over. Anita Dunn and Bob Bauer, uh, a couple that a lot of people might not know. But if you are not familiar with uh, Anita Dunn's work with uh, uh, SKDK, Uh, That is uh, an extraordinarily influential, uh, uh, you know, advising uh, press management uh, all in one shop that not only has been huge in Democratic politics and specifically the Obama and, and Biden era, but but also like Me Too and a lot of these other. Uh, 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 social causes like that. That is that is a high power organization. And Bob Bauer, no slouch himself was uh, what well, he's one of the biggest lawyers in, in D.C. and and was the counsel for Obama.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in, in a way, they, they are very much in the running for the most powerful couple that nobody across the nation really knows or is necessarily heard of. But here in D.C., they're a huge deal. So. Yeah, you know, Bob Bauer, Anita Dunn, both have, have had profile. They, they're they not hidden away and sequestered in some room, just pulling levers behind the scenes, behind the magic curtain. But uh, at the same time, too, they're not uh, exactly the uh, profile on, on a nationwide coast-to-coast, in a nationwide coast-to-coast respect, as, say, George Conway and Kellyanne Conway are. But they're incredibly powerful. They're incredibly influential. They do so much and have done so much, over many many years, decades even, uh, and, and as much today as ever, when it comes to supporting the Democratic Party infrastructure, when it comes to uh, really providing political uh, advice and counsel to presidents of the United States and, and everyone you know down from there, uh, when when it comes to the Democratic Party, so yeah, don't don't sleep on them. They are very 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 key people here in D.C. and again continue to be so.
0: Yeah. I, if you're not familiar with, with with the work of SKDK, look at look it up. Like like they're they are, they, are, they, they the are behind a lot a lot of big <laughs> big big moves. Uh last couple that I want to talk about newer couple, but one that I think we are we are probably either going to uh, uh not see a lot of or we are going to see for the rest of our lives. Matt Gates and Ginger Lucky married after the accusations of Matt Gates's, let's say euphemistically, very active single life, uh, uh, came to play. I I joked, I believe, on this show that the 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 number one page of the playbook of a single politician who is going through something like that is to immediately marry the closest woman. Uh, uh, to him, because those allegations are way easier to do when oh, I'm married now. I was single then. These things, even in if they are not illegal, as we may or may not find out with this Matt Gates uh, investigation, that was a wild time. We all had wild times, right? Uh, meanwhile, Ginger Lucky, not exactly a wallflower, has become a social media uh, uh, icon herself, and. Sister to Palmer lucky, who is the founder of oculus, got acquired by Facebook and now after washing out of that organization because of his politics weirdly enough, he's now a defense contractor with a crazy drone company that 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 seems fascinating uh, uh, so so Matt gates and, and and Ginger lucky I, I feel like do you agree with me either either they're going to be done in six months or they're going to be here for the next 40 years? It's a distinct possibility. So, yeah, you know, I mean, you
2: that in in their in their public persona, it it is like the MAGA version of Stratford on Avon. I mean, they are just completely yeah. like we are living our best lives and, and we are we, we are we love each other and we love you all. And and it's just wonderful. Right. And, you know, the the shoe, the other shoe could drop tomorrow on, yeah. on matt gates and he he could be looking um depending on the outcome of the federal investigation that that he's facing at not just the end of his political career but the end of his life as a free man that is there's no guarantee that anything of the sort is going to happen but there's also a distinct possibility that it could and and that's really yeah. what what he's facing so yeah, I, I, no, nobody can can truly predict it. Uh, you know, if you are a sports better, then take your bets and all. But it it, it probably even money as to whether Matt Gates is is going to and Ginger Lucky are, are going to be that couple for Republicans for years and decades to come, or if everything is going to unravel in a very dramatic fashion in in the <laughs> not so distant future.
0: Yeah, and and uh, I can't imagine anybody listening this deep into this particular interview who has, is as not familiar with the Matt Gates situation. But in case you're not, for the one or two of you that 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 have wandered in here by accident and left it on, uh, Matt Gates is currently facing a, a federal sex trafficking investigation, wherein he has been discussed but not in any way charged as of yet that on some level centers around the idea of whether or not paying women <laughs> on sugar daddy websites constitute as, constitutes as prostitution and whether or not one of those women was underage at the time that she in, entered into one of those relationships. All in all things, topics that were certainly more spicy than anything I talked about on my honeymoon. And I am presuming it was the same for you, Dave. Yeah, just a little bit. And
2: uh, also <laughs> how, how far we can get away uh, from, you know, five minutes ago talking about James Carville and Mary Madeline.
0: It's been a bit, it's been, a, it's been a lifetime of a five minutes, uh, Dave. Uh, uh, Deputy Bureau chief for the Washington Bureau of uh, uh, Insider thank you so much for coming on. As always, Uh, uh, you are you are doing great work over there. Anything in the works that we can uh, tease? I I would
2: uh, I would tease some of the works that we're doing on Ukraine. Uh, We've talked about this before, and there is going to be a lot of action in the next couple of weeks with a big public hearing coming up on Capitol Hill about Members of Congress and their stock trades talking about mm-hmm. spouses. This is something that uh, will be front and center as an issue too, with the idea that not only members of Congress should be banned from trading stocks because of potential conflicts of interest and violations of existing law, but also to their husbands and wives should be yeah. banned. Uh, no, nobody less than Nancy Pelosi, her husband, a multi-multi million dollar stock trader, trading tons and tons of stock not just as a professional uh, financier, but also as a private individual for the benefit of himself and his spouse. So there's going to be April 7th will be the date to circle on your calendar for that action coming down. And yeah, it just seems like everything is turning up spouses here on Capitol Hill and in Washington, D.C. when it comes to ethics and money and all the good
0: stuff that we love to talk about. All the fun stuff. Uh, All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Dave. We will uh, speak to you again soon. Always a pleasure. My pleasure as well. Thank you, Justin. And that wraps it up for us today. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to thank Dave Leventhal for coming on the show, head on over to px3guest.com or just search for Dave Leventhal on Twitter. You can hit me up with an email, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Hit uh, the show up on Twitter, px3tweets. You can watch me live on Twitch, px3live.com. Our podcast can be found at px3podcast.com so you can share it with your friends, family, clergy, our merch is at politicsmerch.com. You can also support me with a one-time donation. You just got some money in your pocket. Bah, send it my way. On PayPal, it is paypal.me slash pay jury. On Venmo, it is Justin-Young-20. Uh, and, and uh, a, a man whose last name is Pizzazz. What an amazing name. What an amazing name, Pizzazz. He dared to ask the question, is Venmo money real? He sent me $50, and I'm here to say, science is still not in. On Cash App, you can find me at px3cash, and you can send anything else you'd like to send me in the mail. P.O. Box, 153184, 84 Austin, Texas, 787-15. Again, make it out to Justin Young, P.O. Box, 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Now, the only way that you're going to get our bonus content, two extra episodes per week and more, is at takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you exactly that. Show that comes out for uh, covering the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday shows. It'll be the first podcast you listen to each and every work week. And then, of course, our late edition, which takes place on Thursdays. And then, of course, there's our Titanic $10 tier, which games gets your name read right at the end of the podcast, like these fine folks: Andres, Unsafe DB Levels, Idris Landy and DJ Katie Mack, Nemeister, Doctor G, Admiral Flapjack, Utah Jimmy Montana, Edmund Blurbus Unum, Pete Spicer, 70s TV Salesman, or Spy. D really? And vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Zombie Doc Edison. No mention of the podcast, please. Dot Junkie DP4 Bongo. Jewish Lives Matter. Hundred Mile Runner. Staff Sergeant Poopers. Berkeley. Stephen. Diana's Silent Slumbers. Katie. Adam. Double K Ranch. Yo Pinball Shop. John. The Opposable Thumbs for Dog Foundation. Super Zoomy. Neil. Charles. Darren. Olin and Angela. D. L. Stephen. Chad. Matt. Miranda. Janelle. Chief. Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Richard, D. Laser, just another pilot, pilot, middle-aged Mike, the Jen, J. Pink, and Andrew. you want to join them. Only one place to do it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That is a wrap. On our next a free episode on Friday. We are going to welcome back an old voice who we haven't heard in a little bit. Bill Share, Because I want to have an existential Biden conversation. Like, I'm going to ask him to look down the map of what happens between now and the midterms. And we're going to play a game called Find the Wins. Where are there wins for Joe Biden Between now and the midterms, like possibly, like, do we expect it? Is it possible that there's going to be something that turns around and makes people very happy that Joe Biden is president and therefore gives his uh, party a fighting shot at the ballot box? We'll find out. That's next time. As for this time. Some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss... Oh...